Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm Cheryl White, and I am just delighted today to have Arthur Woods with us. He is the author of a new book, Hiring for Diversity, and we're going to be discussing filling in workforce gaps and achieving diversity, hiring and retention goals. Author is also the founder of Matheson, and I'm going to let Arthur share a little bit more about himself. Author, thanks again for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Cheryl, and it's really lovely to be here. Mm-hmm. So, it, and, and I, you know, I follow your show and I, I love the conversations that you have. I, I also just really appreciate um, all the work that you're helping to advance in the public and the social sectors. It's so needed. So um, appreciate, uh, appreciate the chance to be here. Thank you. So, yeah, I mean, Cheryl, for me, I, I got uh, into the work, um, you know, I grew up in, in a rural town in Northern California. I, I was raised in an evangelical community. Um, I was taught growing up, um, you know, that uh, really being different is, uh, is, not, is not really, you know, promoted. And so uh, being, you know, one of the, uh, you know, lowest socioeconomic, uh, you know, income levels in my, in my college class, and then halfway through college, I actually came out in the LGBTQ community. So my entire world was kind of turned upside down uh, with somewhat of, a, somewhat of an identity crisis. And I found myself kind of as an outsider. And this, this sort of, uh, you know, showed up in my career when I entered my for- first corporate job and experienced homophobia and um, work all of a sudden didn't feel like a safe place. It didn't feel like a place where I could be my full self. Uh, and I ended up really getting inspired uh, in, the, in the kind of future of work and, and future of kind of people in, in HR world. Um, you know, when I entered into a, a corporate setting where I was uh, in, uh, celebrated for who I was, I was embraced by my team, I could show up and be my full self, I could come out at work. Um, I, I really became fascinated, I think very similar to, 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 you know, all the amazing work that you've led, I, I became fascinated with this idea that we can create environments where people thrive and where they show up um, and feel a sense of belonging every day. And um, so that really led me down this pathway uh, of of investing in, um, you know, uh, building HR technology companies and researching, you know, what brings out a sense of belonging for us all in our jobs mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So, you know, um, I know we're going to be talking a little bit more about your book, but I want to hear what your discoveries were about what brings out that sense of belonging. Yeah. Well, you know, the first thing that we found was that, I mean, it's no surprise in this last year, our entire social contract with our people in their jobs every day has changed. And, you know, about a decade ago, I was, I was kind of at the helm of a, a body of work. It was all around intrinsic motivation and purpose in people's jobs every day. And uh, the, the major kind of thesis behind this work is that while we've incentivized people to date with a paycheck and a job title, and we've thought that those are the only things that matter to people, if, if there's anything that the last year has taught us, it's that people show up to work looking for a lot more in their jobs, a lot more in the workforce than simply just extrinsic rewards. And so, you know, years ago, a decade ago, we were looking at the fact that people are looking for a sense of community and a sense of belonging, you know, in terms of the trust and, and, um, and camaraderie they build with their colleagues. They're looking for a sense of 
meaning uh, and impact. And um, they're looking for the ability to grow and learn every day. And I think this, this sense of belonging and, and kind of trust and community is, is an interesting one because in this last year, as we know, you know, people have been more physically isolated in the workplace than ever before. You know, with the work from home, the pandemic phenomenon kind of caused us all to feel um, more socially isolated. And yet, um, you know, what happened was people placed even greater emphasis on the, the, you know, the, the desire for um, community in their workplace, because it was oftentimes our colleagues that were the, the only people we were interacting with every day for the last year or two, right? Mm -hmm. So I think this, this to me, um, it, it, it sort of raised the bar for um, organizations as they think about the environments they're creating for people, especially among digital means and digital connection, um, to create environments where people feel connected, people feel mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that, that sense of trust and psychological safety. Um, and so these are, I think, a lot of the exciting things that organizations now have to navigate. Yeah. And do you have any ideals or thoughts about how they go about doing that? And, and, yeah, and, so, and, yeah, good. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, please. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, no. I felt like I was putting you on the spot. So, <laughs> no, so I'll let you think all, about it. Well, I gave it, I, I happened to have been facilitating um, a session this morning and a fabulous CEO, um, international company, and um, their employees were expressing just what you expressed with regards to that sense of having been um, virtual um, for, mm -hmm. you know, several months now. And um, even when they're not, uh, you know, the pandemic wasn't here, you have teams that are so separated, but eventually, I mean, um, during normal times, quotation marks, they were able to uh, fly and reduce that distance and have that time together. And what they really missed in their meetings and what have you was, you know, you don't have that social time. So you kind of get mm. in and you are um, on the agenda, you know, the moment the Zoom or Teams, whichever platform you're using, um, starts. And the CEO says, mm. you know, this is exactly why I start all of my meetings and I'm encouraging all of you executive team and I want you to encourage your team every meeting the first 10 minutes should simply be connecting yeah having that Absolutely. conversation like you would have that conversation if you walked into a conference room and people had that opportunity to connect with each other um, so connect mm -hmm. with your individuals connect with your people and then begin um, your agenda um, yeah. And that was kind of like his suggestion, which I thought was a, a great concrete way of creating space for people to connect um, in this virtual world. Um, so thoughts from yeah. yourself on how they might do that. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, the, the, the simple notion of us transacting, uh, you know, so consistently these days, it's like we're layering in so many more meetings in a given day and we're sometimes losing the the, the actual, you know, uh, you know, social emotional connection. Right. So I love that mm -hmm. point about mm -hmm. spending the first 10 minutes, just connecting and, and hearing how people's weekends were and really just remembering that, you know, that sense of humanity, uh, a couple other things, uh, managers, uh, you know, we, we collaborate with, uh, with Qualtrics. They did a study that found managers that don't spend a minimum of four hours of, um, of time every month with their team members start to really um, lose track of people, people, you know, it, it directly leads to people's lower engagement. Mm -hmm. 
So managers really being um, cognizant of, of the, the actual time they're investing in um, interaction with their team members. Um, and we recommend having managers track that, you know, take, take, take note of how many meeting, meeting hours did you have with your team? If you're, if you're only seeing, you know, people for, you know, an hour or two a month and, and, you know, you're, you're not getting that minimum of four hours, that's a, that's a challenge. Um, we, we are looking at the fact that, you know, we should, we should also keep track of how often we praise our people. You know, I think a lot of managers, um, miss the fact that, uh, people all, you know, uh, really do pay attention to, you know, whether they have been acknowledged and that, while that feels like one small action that we take, you know, among many, every, every day, that may be the, the best part of someone's week to be heard or seen for what they've contributed. And so, we, we try to actually have managers, I, you know, one of the, the tactical recommendations we make is have, ha, as a manager, write down uh, a list of all of your team members um, and keep track every month of how much time you're spending with each, when the last time you acknowledged each was. And then as you think about people's level of you know, depth of relationships, their sense of impact, their sense of growth every day, how, how would we perceive um, how well our team members are doing in these areas. And if we don't have a good sense, then we can bet that there's someone who's at risk there. And that's something that we need to address. So a lot of this is, 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 is managers about kind of using organizational tactics to, to stay on top of these things. So they're not uh, off the cuff. They're not, you know, informal. We can actually stay very organized and, and, and intentional about how we structure these approaches. Great. I absolutely love that. And um, I'm sure that that adds to retention and certainly adds to a person's energy because that is how we feel that emotional energy bucket, having people feel seen and heard and valued and appreciated. Mm. So I really appreciate um, starting in that tone <laughs> or in that space. Was there anything you wanted to say about um, Matheson, I guess, the organization um, before we kind of dive deeper? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we, we, we have a technology company that, um, that basically builds software to help manage the diversity recruiting efforts. And there are sort of three buckets of that, Cheryl. One is mm -hmm. to help companies assess or help employers of all shapes and sizes in the social sector, the public sector, and the private sector, um, uh, you know, map and, and, and assess their hiring processes and their talent practices to uh, identify where they have gaps and where they have potential bias. Um, the system helps uh, uh, basically with expanding the, the sourcing pipeline uh, for critical roles. And, um, and then rather than you know, look at our training of our team members as only an episodic approach or the, the actual inclusive hiring behaviors <clears throat> only falling on the shoulders of the talent team, and we've actually created tools and training that is, that is built for the entire team. And our belief is that, you know, bringing the broader organization, bringing our broader team members outside of, you know, the HR and the talent function is a critical path to getting this work right. And so we've, uh, you know, the system is, is kind of an end-to-end -end holistic approach to navigating that work. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So I'd say following a year of so much change and a labor market that is now even more chaotic, what does the landscape resemble for organizations who are, you know, in the midst of all this trying to grow diversity? Mm. Well, you know, it's so interesting that the, the sort of events of this last year, um, you know, put us all in this very interesting headspace. And this is something we've just seen time and time again, as we've been interviewing leaders and studying organizations, 
the, the, the great resignation, as you know, it's been called, has created this, um, this pretty extreme sense of urgency. You know, um, many leaders are in this, this mode of filling gaps, um, feeling really behind, feeling like they need to rush. Um, it's led talent teams to have much less capacity. And, um, and then we also know that the DEI, all the diversity work has, has been elevated to the most kind of uh, urgent and, and important state that we've seen it in. You know? So all of these things together have created a little bit of a perfect storm of having urgency, having little capacity and having um, you know, kind of all the pressure all in one. And so you know, what we try to describe to leaders right now is that when we're in this urgent state in this work, um, it is actually where we tend to cut corners revert to the old behavior with which we've previously operated. And um, it's where we tend to abandon structure. It's where we tend to, uh, you know, take the most informal approaches to this work. And all of that is what introduces um, unconscious bias. So a lot so of I'm going to have you put a I'm going to have you put a comma right there just because we need to take yeah. a break. But oh, when yes. we come back, I want you to start back with with that thought with regards to a lot of this is where unconscious biases might come in and also have you really share with us, you know, how is, um, uh, how do employers typically define diversity and um, setting goals? So we'll hear, mm. let's say more about um, your thoughts on un- unconscious biases and how that gets introduced into this uh, scenario on the mm. other side of the commercial. So please stay with us. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service. Today, expertise equals credibility. When you know what to do and how to do it, people follow because they acknowledge that you know more. However, stepping up in your career eventually pushes you out of your comfort zone of expertise. How you lead at those moments requires new skills. We're here to show you how to survive and thrive. Join me, Wanda Wallace, on Out of the Comfort Zone at Voice America Business Channel. You can find more information at Leadership Forum INC. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we are back with more on Leadership Matters. I'm Cheryl White, and I am delighted to be having a conversation about filling workplace, or say filling workforce gaps 
and Achieving Diversity, Hiring and Retention Goals with Author Woods. Author is the co-founder of Matheson and the author of the uh, new book, um, say Hitting Shelves. Are, is it on the shelf now or is it on its way out? Author? Oh, it's on the shelf. Yeah, we, we yeah. actually came out in August. Yeah, so we're, okay. we're, uh, we're a little, I guess now two months in and okay. yeah, yeah. So hiring for diversity, two months in. So really fresh new on the, um, on the shelves. So Arthur, thanks so much for being with us. And before we actually went to commercial break, you were um, beginning to share a little bit more about how lack of structure can leave way for unconscious bias. I'm going to ask you to pick mm. up there, but also share with us, you know, what is an unconscious bias and how might it impact the hiring process? Sure, sure. It's a, it's a great question, Cheryl. So, uh, you know, the way that we describe unconscious bias is that, you know, our brain at any one point in time is receiving 11 million bits of information. And we can only consciously process 40 at any moment, right? So since the beginning of time, uh, since we were, you know, getting chased by dinosaurs, uh, we, we, uh, we have always operated with, um, you know, mental heuristics and mental shortcuts to, to function. Um, this is not an all and unnatural thing. It's not as though we're, you know, we're bad people for having uh, mental shortcuts. But, but the way that we, um, the way that we operate and make decisions leads to many of our uh, our, our thought process uh, steps um, actually being filled in in a way that is inequitable. And so, um, any one point in time, if we have too much information, not enough information, something isn't meaningful enough to us or um, it, we just can't remember something, we end up actually filling the gaps. And um, one of the common ways that we do this uh, in the hiring process is how we uh, attribute value to certain candidates over others, certain credentials over others, or the way that we you know, approach our decision-making. So unconscious bias is really where, um, as we fill in those gaps, we, we do so in a way that potentially is unfair and equitable. Um, it doesn't mean at all that we're bad people, but our goal is to consciously be aware of the decisions we make um, and, and take a structured approach that's consistent. So we're building an equitable experience for everyone. And if we think about the sheer number of decision points in the hiring process, think about every single touch point we have with candidates, every single interaction, every single choice that's made to advance someone or not, um, this happens quite a bit. When we're not conscious of the decisions we're making, why we're making them, we tend to oftentimes operate in a way that is inequitable, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Appreciate your elaborating on that. You know, having worked with um, so many employers now and that just really being the space that you're in, how are employers defining diversity and setting goals? Mm. So um, employers today, we found are, you know, uh, first of all, 76% of employers don't set diversity goals at all. That's a, that's a stat, uh, according to Josh Burson, just this last year, still staggeringly, uh, staggeringly low number, right, of, of employers that are actually engaged in this, despite the enormous commitments that have been made. Um, and, you know, the, we, we have certainly found that many employers have uh, limited uh, definitions of diversity. They, um, they, they oftentimes are not uh, thinking about diversity um, in terms of the cross-section of underrepresented communities. So part of our work and, and research in, in the book was to really kind of study all of the marginalized and underrepresented groups and to get clear uh, around what we mean, what we mean by you know, um, lack of representation 
Um, and what was really kind of great about this process, Cheryl, is we were able to sit down with social sector leaders who ranged from the formerly incarcerated community to the disability community to the refugee and the immigrant community. And we were able to, um, you know, first of all, I think really, really sort of speak to the fact that this last year, I think one of the greatest strides that has been made, and I know that you talk a lot about, is the fact that um, the, the lack of, of, uh, of racial and the, the lack of racial equity is staggering. And organizations, I think many, many, many finally woke up this last year to the need to really make change there. And so I think that's probably one of the greatest, um, you know, wins in the space is that, wow, you know, organizations admitted they had a problem and many, mm -hmm. well, they haven't necessarily acted as much as we, we, we want them to. Mm -hmm. uh, many have at least acknowledged the problem and, and, and started to set in motion change. So I think that, you know, that, that focus for employers to address the, the enormous racial inequity that they've, they've led with to date is, is a primary focus and one that I think is, 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 you know, rightfully so needs to be front and center. And I think alongside that, you know, one of the things we've, we've really encouraged employers to do is to build cultural competency um, and awareness across their, their leadership teams, especially of all of the different marginalized communities and the, the unique barriers they face. So they're not trying to paint diversity in broad strokes. They're really clear around the fact that from an accessibility standpoint, our process actually needs to be physically accessible to people of all abilities. Um, that, that, you know, every single job seeking group that's from an underrepresented community faces a different set of stereotypes and barriers. And the more as leaders that we're aware of these, um, the more we hopefully believe leaders are developing more empathetic approaches and empowering experiences for their people. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. I'm going to ask you just to um, share with us, I think you may have mentioned, but I would just want to be explicit about the other marginalized communities. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So uh, as part of the book, um, we, we actually studied uh, working parents, um, the formerly incarcerated community, um, people with disabilities, refugees and immigrants, um, the Black community, the AAPI community, the Latinx, Hispanic community. We, we had a, a focal focus on women among, um, you know, functions where function, functions and sectors where they're underrepresented. Um, we did actually uh, not only focus on the, the disability community, but we have um, recently done um, a lot more work centered around the neurodivergent, the neurodiverse community. Um, and then we've included veterans and we've included, um, we've included even refugees and immigrants through partnerships we have in some of those communities. And then finally, the older experienced worker community. Um, we've had some really great collaborations actually with AARP. Um, and that's been a community that's oftentimes, as an example, been not on the radar for many employers, um, yet is about to be a quarter of our, of our workforce nationally. Um, and only about 9% of employers have acknowledged that the older experienced worker community is underrepresented, despite uh, the enormous ageism that the community oftentimes faces. Okay. And I'm going to have to have you go back and talk about the neural um, diverse community. Sure. Yeah. So this, this has been a pretty exciting, um, I think, development in the last year or so that we've seen um, the, the neurodivergent community, which includes, for example, I'm sorry. yes, I'm sorry, neurodivergent, or we've oftentimes mm -hmm. heard the community referenced as the neurodiverse community, um, uh, which includes people on the spectrum, people with Asperger's, um, people that basically uh, may, may, you know, think or their brains may operate um, differently. Um, and oftentimes um, what's really kind of power, powerful about this community is we, we consider the neurodivergent community to have 
um, like every underrepresented community, you know, some really powerful kind of superpowers, um, oftentimes showing extraordinary competencies in certain areas. But the community also is not a community that you always recognize when you look at someone's LinkedIn profile. Um, so you can actually have team members that are part of the neurodivergent community um, that have never represent, you know, never necessarily represented that they're in the community. I mean, that could be for a number of reasons. Um, but I think the more that we build psychological safety on our teams, the more people feel empowered to tell their stories. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we've we've oftentimes seen teams where uh, colleagues had been working together for a decade and, and never knew that the person sitting right next to them was part of the community. So I think it's a pretty mm-hmm. powerful kind of realization. Okay. So Arthur, can you share more about building psychological safety? Absolutely. So, you know, I think, um, you know, what, one of the things that's really exciting about this work right now is we, is we shift this social contract with our people, right? Mm-hmm. We know that, uh, that today, if we think about like the, the, the traditional way that work oftentimes, you know, was managed, um, and, and Cheryl, I know you have, you, you must have countless stories of leaders that you've, you've helped navigate through this work, you know, and, and who probably, when you first started working with them, harbored this kind of traditional way of, 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 of managing and working. Um, I mean, there was certainly a moment, if we look back to the, the factory era, you know, a hundred years ago, people showed up to work, they operated a conveyor belt, uh, work was a, a means to an end and people, you know, kind of conformity to the process and the system was how people, you know, optimized. Yeah, as a success, as a successful worker, you, you know, you, you operated in the system. Um, and I think uh, in many ways that carried through to uh, even, even work over the last, you know, 30, 40 years where um, people showed up and instead of working in a factory, they were working at a desk um, and we were measuring engagement, uh, which was a measure, a measure of discretionary effort. And so people still as professionals were expected to conform to kind of a, a uh, almost a, a you know an archetype of what a, what an employee what a successful employee really looks like. So in many ways we weren't celebrating people in those instances either as as factory employees or as office members as individuals to bring their full selves to work. We were kind of saying a professional or a, a worker you know conforms to this this kind of you know profile. Um, and I think what that meant was that a lot of people, myself included, in my first job, you know, didn't you know, think about bringing themselves to work in a, in a full authentic way. It was more of like, how do I conform to be, to survive and mm-hmm. be successful, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I think this new notion of psychological safety is recognizing that when people show up and they can bring their authentic selves to work um, and they feel empowered, not only to represent themselves and their stories, but um, the, the, you know, what's been really interesting is, to, is, is, is research that's come out around different stages of psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And someone just showing up and feeling included is only stage one. It's when someone, um, you know, shows up and then starts to contribute or starts to challenge that we start getting to these later stages. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really powerful to note that it isn't until someone's in that challenger state, which is that, you know, kind of ultimate goal, that um, we really get innovation, you know, that a team mm-hmm. is someone feels empowered enough to say, if I raise my hand and throw out an idea that's contrary to what is on the table, I'm not going to be squashed down and I, I won't mm-hmm. be penalized. I'll actually be celebrated for contributing, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a different, that's a very different posture um, for a lot of team members who, you know, again, maybe, sh- maybe had previous experiences where they, they were hammered down for raising their hand and they realized, oh gosh, I'm not safe to do that. I need to just toe the line here, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes uh, a lot of sense. And 
I appreciate your um, elaborating on that. Looks like we need to take another break. And when we come back, going to have some, uh, maybe ask us to maybe provide a few additional final thoughts on psychological safety. Interesting yeah. thing happened in the San Diego community this past um, couple of weeks or so. And um, I just think it's a wonderful model that I want to talk about. I, I saw mm. um, some really good um, practice, I'll say, from one of our supervisors, Supervisor Nora Vargas, and really um, stepping in with um, courage, certainty, and um, discouraging um, behavior that really was not appropriate. And then following up with how that could become part of the organizational and community culture that um, we show up in a way that is civil and respectful um, and in doing so kind of being able to encourage healthy discourse or healthy conversations. Mm -hmm. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but then also ask you to expand on, you know, how might we rethink a strategic and sustainable way for really being able to expand our diversity um, sources mm. amidst the limited time and capacity we might find ourselves with. So please stay with mm. us. We'll be right back with more from author on this fabulous topic here on Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by Innovisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact Innovisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 619-453-8093. That's 619-453-8093. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is swite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service. The pace of change in the world is increasing exponentially and shows no signs of slowing down. Leadership is evolving and requires more and more innovative leaders to keep up. Innovating Leadership, co-creating our future with Maureen Metcalf, features interviews with global business leaders, thought leaders, and academics in a wide range of industries. Proven concepts and tools may be applied to build your organization and deliver sustainable success. Tune in every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Trends in global business are changing all the time. It used to only be worrying about your competitor across the street, but now that competitor may be across the world. On Global Business with Mahesh Joshi, we discuss the trends in global business, plus issues and solutions that business leaders face today. Each show is guaranteed to teach you something that you didn't know before about global business. Listen live every Wednesday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on The Voice America Business Channel. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. 
or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swhite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we are back with more on Leadership Matters, discussing filling workforce gaps and achieving diversity, hiring and retention goals. Arthur, I think much of our conversation has really uh, focused on retention because I think all these things Mm -hmm. around psychological safety um, just really kind of go to the heart of the, and people feeling heard and valued goes to the heart of whether or not a person might opt to stay or leave an organization. So very often goes beyond Mm -hmm. the um, tangible um, compensation. What are your thoughts? Well, absolutely. And, you know, Cheryl, I, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that really comes to mind is this last year, um, you know, one of the silver linings, I think, of the pandemic was was giving people this kind of clarifying agent to reflect on what matters to them, you know, what their priorities are. And a lot of that, by the way, it was clarifying for people to realize my, fa- you know, our fa- my family, my loved ones, are what mattered to me most, you know, and I think that was, it was wonderful seeing that a lot of working parents had more time with their kids this last year because they had mm. some flexibility to work from home. Um, and, and I think it, you know, that, that same, in that same vein, uh, a lot was put in perspective in terms of people's intrinsic value in their work. You know, do I, do I work for something I believe in? Do I have a strong sense mm. of community here mm-hmm. um, that ascribes to my values? You know, am I, am I, if I were to stop working today, would I be proud of what I've done or the impact that I've made? And I think a lot of people we saw make kind of courageous shifts. And in, in, and I think this is some of what has fueled the great resignation um, that people wanted to, to make a change. And sometimes that was for extrinsic reasons. And we know that, and we know it's a competitive land, landscape right now, but a lot of people made shifts um, actually foregoing higher pay um, for these more intrinsic, intrinsic values, including psychological safety. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, wonderful. So I think before we went to break, I wanted to call out just the courageous act of Vice Chair Nora Vargas. She's one of our mm-hmm. um, county supervisors here in uh, San Diego, the first Latina immigrant and first uh, woman of color in the history of San Diego County Board of Supervisors to be elected. And she was unanimously then also elected as the vice chair of the board by her peers. And um, what I witnessed in watching one of our um, our um, community meetings was uh, Supervisor Vargas shutting down mm. uh, firmly, um, yet respectfully, you know, setting some boundaries around how a um, conversation will take place because what had been mm. stated by a citizen was were uh, racist and very um, demeaning comments. Mm. And I think what we take from that is not only the responsibility to, um, to stop and to speak up against those things that are uh, damaging and that can create mm. a very um, harmful or hostile environment, particularly in this case, it were county employees. Mm. Um, but then they moved to um, create a policy. In fact, I think while we're meeting, they're meeting to see if they can adopt some policies to address uh, this behavior so that they can really create a, um, a policy that supports civil and respectful mm. discourse. 
Um, so it's like, come, speak, say what it is you want to say, but how do we do so in a way that's respectful? Love that. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I think that's exactly, you know, what is possible right now is we can, we can absolutely, you know, create an environment where people feel empowered and uh, they, they, can, they can engage in um, respectful discourse at the same time. You know, it doesn't have to involve uh, being, you know, being antagonistic and, and mm-hmm. you know, creating such, uh, you know, such mm-hmm. kind of aggressive, uh, you, know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, interaction. So I, I really think that that's powerful. You know, there's, there's, mm-hmm. there's a balancing act there. Yeah. So, so how do I express myself? And, um, and share my differences of opinion, if that's welcome, but how do we do so in a respectful way? And I think that also creates a leaning in and willingness to kind of take the risk of, um, of sharing, but it also creates an ownership of how I go to do it, which kind of goes back to, um, you know, there's also some training and that type of thing that can be helpful to then help people mm. develop mm-hmm. the self-awareness, the self-regulation, the ability to um, communicate in a way where they can lean in and share and others can receive and it be a um, an exchange that then allows us to expand and grow. I say people mm. learn and grow from interaction with each other. So we want to have these quality interactions and how do we hold ourselves to having them in a respectful way. Um, so another thought um, is since sourcing is such a, a challenge for employers, how can they rethink, let's say, a, a strategic and sustain, a sustainable way to really expand diversity sourcing uh, when, mm. again, people are challenged with uh, limitations on time as well as capacity? So the first thing we, we really think of with expanding our diversity sourcing is to, you know, get clear on what we mean by diversity and, and to have that, you know, understanding of the different underrepresented communities. And so we, we think that, you know, step one is kind of the awareness and the cultural competency across these groups. Because again, if we're kind of walking in, um, not even aware, wow, you know, the, 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 the disability community is 70% unemployed. Uh, we, we have a big opportunity to ensure that we, we have accessible accommodations for the community. That's a very different mindset than simply leaving the community off, off the radar altogether. Um, a couple of the, the sourcing strategies we talk about, one is instead of trying to boil the ocean as a leader, let's focus on what we call a role-specific sourcing strategy. And what that entails is looking at the job that we're trying to hire for. And first of all, ask ourselves the question, where is representation lacking in this role? If we look, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a nonprofit and I'm hiring, you know, a, a marketing manager for, for one of my functions, um, how is my marketing team currently, you know, uh, re- represented? Where is there an opportunity to really I- I- increase that representation? One of the critical factors from there is who can we promote from within the organization who maybe that this could provide a leadership opportunity to. Um, and sometimes we look first externally and we don't even recognize that there are people internally. Um, from there, we can then look at community partnerships. Um, we can look at um, uh, sourcing tools. There are a lot of new technologies. We, we've developed one of them. Um, we, can, we can actually get our existing team members to refer their network. And if we, again, mm-hmm. use this as an awareness building opportunity to, to you know, share with our team what we mean by diversity, Maybe we can, you know, literally schedule time in with all of our team members and what we call a diversity source-a-thon or a hackathon to say, let's look at this open role. Let's all go to our LinkedIn and let's look creatively at who we know from our networks, who could be a great match for this role. 
Um, and, and from there, we, we think um, part of the goal is to develop a, a sustainable strategy by, um, by not having a reactive approach to sourcing, but starting to build the pipeline. Um, and, and we talk you know, longer term about the fact that if we can eliminate a lot of the unnecessary requirements in the role itself, um, that oftentimes have posed barriers to people, right? Um, you know, that, that is really what helps us cast a, a significantly wider net in the work. Mm-hmm. Great. So I love that. And um, that whole thought of partnering with diverse community organizations. I always like to also throw out there just your higher education mm-hmm. um, organizations and uh, I say institutions, particularly um, the historically black colleges that are often not on the radar screen when they are, uh, when we're going to do recruitment. I've heard sometimes people will say, well, and some of the requirements we're going to drop is we want to make sure that mm. we actually can cast our our nets in such a way where um, the um, you know we might drop some of the higher education um, requirements and mm. um, and using that as a um, the thinking is that maybe we won't find diverse candidates. Well, I think it's mm-hmm. important to critically think of, yeah, sometimes experience can be a great, um, you know, can be great to say that we don't necessarily have to have the college mm-hmm. education. We may be able to have a person who has the experience and they don't have to have the um, college education to do that. But they also know that if you are looking for people who have college educations, you have over 101 historically black colleges in so many different um, areas of study that can yeah. fill uh, some of those positions. So really looking beyond what might be some of the state and um, maybe more well-known schools to also schools that are preparing um, individuals to come out and be excellent um, employees uh, in the workforce. So that's just like my little tidbit plug for historic yeah. black colleges. Of course, I'm a product of yeah. historic black college, so I have a little bit more bias toward them. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Grambling State University. I was third generation. My children are fourth generation. I love that. Grambling Knights. So we kind of stay plugged to that community as well. <laughs> it, you know, it's so powerful. And I think you're absolutely right, Cheryl, that part of the barrier we've seen is that we, and again, this is part of bias is that, you know, leaders uh, oftentimes have had their perception of what are the, the you know, the, the go-to schools to recruit from and the ones not, or the credentials that they're looking for from a master's degree, an advanced degree standpoint, all the way to not. And so I think we have a huge opportunity to kind of shift the perception that you can find an underrepresented, I mean, you can, you can find an amazing job seeker from an unconventional background. They don't have to have come from a, a limited set of schools or uh, you know, a, a narrow set of credentials to be successful in the role. Um, and I think the best way we can really get leaders to shift their mindset around that is by using storytelling. You know, let's talk about the, uh, you know, I, I, have a, I have a story personally about this amazing um, head of people, head of HR for a 3000 person company who is enormously impactful. She never went to college, you know, mm-hmm. um, if, if she had been passed over for that opportunity because of that, she would never have made this amazing impact, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's, it's, it's kind of some of these stories that become the currency for how we shift behavior, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. So it looks like we need to take our final break. Um, and I'll look forward to coming back and just hearing a little bit more, maybe your final thoughts and tips that our um, listeners can use 
to really fill those workforce gaps and achieve the Mm. diversity hiring and retention goals. So please stay with us and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, informing Mm. leaders, inspiring solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 619-453-8093 that's 619-453-8093 or send an email to dr white her email address is swhite at neighborhoodhouse.org innovisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood house association of san diego california funds raised go to support the neighborhood house association's mission to enrich lives through a continuum of education and wellness service Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to Dr. Cheryl White at swhite at neighborhoodhouse.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. And we are back with more on Leadership Matters. I'm Cheryl White and delighted to be having this conversation today with Arthur Woods discussing filling workforce gaps and achieving diversity, hiring, and retention goals. Arthur, I know that, um, well, let me just ask you, who has typically been driving this work and how can employers begin to maybe engage our entire teams and the Mm. hiring managers to play a critical role in the diversity hiring efforts. Absolutely. So uh, Cheryl, you know, the first thing that we find is another statistic that came up from some of the Burson work was that only 12% of hiring managers um, actively take a, a responsibility for the diversity hiring work. Right. And when we think about the implications of that, it's, it's pretty staggering, right. That, the vast majority of people, um, you know, outside of the talent teams, don't personally take a sense of ownership in this work. And um, so, the first thing that we really believe is is critical here is that we have to 
um, shift that mindset that th this work will not be sustainable. It won't be possible if we don't all take responsibility for it. When we think of the collective actions of every single person in our organizations who um, influences the way a candidate feels in the hiring process, the way that uh, we, we either follow or abandon structure in our systems, or uh, even the way that we can cast a wider net to reach more communities that aren't currently on our radar. All of these add up to a pretty tremendous opportunity for our teams, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and if we think about, you know, just a select few number of people in the organization taking ownership of this work, um, it really hinders our abilities and it, it hinders our impact. So we, 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 first of all, tell talent leaders, your new role is to be inclusive hiring coaches, to think about your role as catalyzing and empowering the rest of the organization to take an active role. And rather than, uh, in this case, uh, to shoulder this all yourself, you know, take, take, take up the mantle um, and, 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 and start to you know, kind of create that case uh, for the rest of your organization to, to start playing a more active role. Um, you know, as, as leaders, as business leaders, um, it's going to always feel like you can sacrifice time, you can abandon structure, you can sort of uh, address other kind of near-term priorities to, to sort of table the, the need to focus on diversity. And our, our you know, real message there is that um, if we are, you know, sort of delaying this or sort of deferring our, our attention on this work, um, we're going to end up losing amazing people, um, not achieving our diversity goals, and it's going to, you know, hurt our organizations. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're really trying to get leaders to kind of uh, take a sense of responsibility, realize that their actions have major, major impact, and um, it's going to, to really kind of change the game for the organization if everyone, um, you know, sort of collectively works together on this. Mm -hmm. So I always like to say this quote, hope is the dream that awakens the soul. And I think from the hope, we get a vision. And until someone has a vision to do something, very often that part of the idea may be sleeping and slumbering and um, may not be inclusive. So what is the piece? What's the win? Uh, what's the advantage? Um, why should people really develop diversity goals? The best thing that we, we really talk about with the, the, the reason to develop diversity goals is we can't manage what we can't measure, Right. And rather than uh, try to guess uh, as to where we need to focus, uh, rather than, um, you know, sort of set loose uh, intentions that aren't really going to be acted on, uh, we believe that by, by setting a real, uh, you know, intention around what success looks like and then measuring our progress against that, we will achieve greater progress, right? Um, and, you know, the fact that I, I, I really believe, Cheryl, that the reason a lot of organizations have not seen progress on diversity is that they're, they, they haven't actually set out to, to achieve anything new. They haven't defined what they're trying to actually change. And the moment we do that, we start to actually track our progress. We start to manage it. We start to empower our teams to take ownership of these metrics. So the measurement is so critical and it's something most people are missing. And that's really why we say, look, if there's anything you can start to do, it's just set goals and start to track yourselves against them. Um, if we do that, we, we, we really do believe we start to make progress. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, Arthur, are there any other final uh, thoughts or tips that you'd like to share that you think could be helpful? Well, you know, the, I, I would say generally that um, a lot of leaders have been overwhelmed by how little progress they've made, or they've been frustrated that their organizations aren't far enough along in this work. And I would say that, uh, you know, our general message is that uh, there is so much great progress to be made, and there's so much to celebrate in terms of 
um, the progress that we do make. And while you know so much of the work has been characterized by kind of guilt and shame, um, let's celebrate those 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 wins. And you know, let's approach this work together. We're not we don't have to navigate this work on our own anymore. It's being done in a collective. We we always talk about the fact that we're writing a new playbook for what this work looks like. Um, and you know, we we hope that everyone can. Uh, uh, join the community, join the conversation. Um, you can learn a little bit more about the book and some of the research at hiringfordiversity.com. Um, and, you know, uh, there's a great really, uh, uh, you know, I, I would say pat- passionate community of practice that's been emerging around this work that's sharing resources and strategies and, and you know, really kind of navigating what this new playbook looks like together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, we talked a lot about, I think, some things, the psychological safety and so on and so forth that leads to retention. Any other nuggets you might add regarding retention? Well, you know, I think, I think the, the notion that um, people, are no, people are not just staying in their jobs for any reason. You know, we have to sort of give them a reason to stay in their jobs. I think that's a, that's a big mental shift for most organizations, Right. Um, it is not as though we sort of just close our eyes and expect, okay, everyone's fine and everyone's going to stay because they're 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 going to figure it out. This is a moment where people have choice. You know, they have a choice to uh, potentially make more money, go somewhere else that had, gives them greater purpose, greater autonomy, greater sense of belonging. So, how how your organization, and I think honestly, the social sector as well, you know, very much mm-hmm. included. That I think sometimes um, the the social sector has fallen, fallen, uh, kind of rested on the laurels of being, being mission driven organizations and assume has assumed that every single person feels so connected into the mission that, um, all the other aspects of work that they need are not as important, you know? And I think sometimes that's why the social sector has struggled to attract and retain really great talent because people have said, well, I can, maybe I can go work at another organization that gives me that mission driven experience but also provides these other aspects that I am looking for in work. So we think that there's a, you know, there's a big opportunity for social sector organizations to, um, to, to, to certainly connect people to that mission, but also to be really intentional about building community and making sure that people's, um, people's kind of full needs are provided for in what they experience every day at work. And these are the things that we think will hit on, on retention. That's fabulous. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you to our listening audience for tuning in. We invite you to send topics of interest, things that you'd like to hear discussions on and learn more about to Leadership Matters questions, no space in between, Leadership Matters questions at innovisions.org, and that's I-N-N-V-I-S-I-O-N-S.org. So please join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. specific time, uh, specific standard time, or download our, cop- our um, podcast at your convenience on demand. So again, thank you for tuning in to Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.